Hey, everybody. Welcome to Listen Money Matters. It's oats and squats for your wallet. <laughs> My name is Thomas, and I'm here, as always, with Andrew. Hey, man. How are you, and what are you drinking? Hey, dude. I'm good. And today I am drinking my own old fashioned, uh, old fashioned as per the Thrillist. So it you has have like a like a whiskey stone in there. Yeah, dude. I, I have I have the whiskey stone. It's of course everyone's gotten it as a gift at some point in their life. I've got yep. my bitters, my my <laughs> bullet bourbon, rye. It's, it's Very nice. damn tasty, man. What are you drinking? I got, I got my whiskey stones, my obligatory Christmas present stones this year. I actually got mine this year, too. I think Did it was you? like the year of stones. <laughs> Maybe it is. I'm drinking some regatta ginger beer. It's actually non-alcoholic, so I'm not mm. going to get too crazy yet. But my brother left some beer in the fridge, and I might steal it for the next episode. Nice. We're going to stay with the ginger today. But yeah, anyway, today's catchphrase was, it's oats and squats for your wallet, which comes to us from Philip Everall. <laughs> Hi, Philip. <laughs> and he put, listen, money maters. So I just want to mention that. <laughs> Anyway, hey, if you want to get your catchphrases right on the show, then send them over to us at Money Matters Man on Twitter is where you should send them, or Facebook, or email, or whatever, but we prefer Twitter. And today we have a guest on the show. Her name is Adrienne Larson, and she's the founder of The Muse. And uh, hey, Adrienne, how's it going? Hey, pretty good. <laughs> I'm actually not the founder, though. I can't oh, take no? credit for that. Okay. I wish I was. I All was right, the first employee. Gotcha. I'm the editor-in-chief and was the first employee of The Muse. okay. okay. So, well, so you like high five the founder when they came up with the story, then, right? Yes, exactly. Nice. I also got to, you know, be part of the starting a company without actually putting any of my, you know, life savings into it, which was really nice. So the best of both worlds, then. The that best of nice. both worlds. <laughs> okay, so so how long had the muse come along before you started up with them, or were you like right in at the beginning? I was right at the beginning. We okay. did not have a website yet. We did not have investment money yet. It was merely a concept and an idea that they sold me on, and. Uh, why I took it, I don't know. Just kidding. I do know. But it was a big risk at the time. It was it did not exist when I when I came on board. Okay, cool. So uh so I saw in our little planning thing here, we're gonna talk about how to get a job in twenty fifteen. But before we get into that, I'm just curious. Um, so what was the idea behind the Muse? And because it sounds like it was like a whole fleshed out idea with uh investors and everything before you guys even started out. And uh what is it today? Is it is it exactly what you guys had planned? That's a great question. So the Muse started as a content site for prof- for young professional women. So at the time when we started about three and a half years ago, there was not a lot of smart content on the web for professional women. There was a lot of content for women. There's a lot of, you know, lipstick colors and sex advice and, you know, maybe one or two pages of work issues in your magazine, but there just wasn't a lot for the kinds of issues that professional women are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. So that was the concept behind the Muse when we started. We did half career advice and half lifestyle advice. Mm. So everything from, you know, getting a job, figuring out what you want to do, getting your first management position, succeeding at work, to, you know, how to manage your finances, how to make smart, smart decisions about your health, things like that. So interestingly, what happened is, is something that we didn't expect, which was that, A, our most popular content was this career content. People are so, so hungry for advice on how to get a better job, how to do a better job at the job that you have, how to think about what you want to do in, you know, one, five, ten years. 
The other thing that was really interesting is that a lot of men kept coming to the site and they were really confused and sort of offended mm-hmm. why we were just for women and didn't have content for men. It was so, it was so funny. And I was, you know, like, hey dudes, this is what this is how women have been feeling since the beginning of time. <laughs> but uh, but all right, we'll make some room for you too. So pro- about a year and a half ago, we broadened to to really be for everyone, you know, millennials and non-millennials, men and women. Women, anybody who is sort of kind of trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives and right. then succeed once they get there. So we've been doing that, you know, Muse kind of 2.0 for a couple of years. And now we've really expanded into a lot of other things. So in addition to getting career advice, you can come on and explore really interesting companies. You can apply for jobs at those companies. You can take a class, a free email-based class on how to manage someone, how to network better, how to get a job using social media. You can, you know, favorite companies, favorite jobs. You can do all kinds of new things. So it's really a one-stop destination for your career. So that the the last part was kind of how I found you guys. I was looking for a job for myself, and um, I'm like in the techie space in New York, and uh, some of the companies I looked up, uh, you guys were like the first result, and you had these amazing like uh, videos of them in the office, and you interviewed people, and it like really gave like a great feel of the culture. And it was nothing like I've ever seen, and it was everything that I wanted because you can't really get that until you go there. Uh, Like, what made you guys come up with this? Because I think it's brilliant. Totally. And I'm so glad you brought that up. And I'm so glad that's how you found us. So really what people are looking for in a job nowadays is not just a job. They're looking for a company that they really connect with. They're looking for coworkers that they really connect with. Americans are working more than we ever have since the beginning of time. And when you're spending that much time at work, you really want to make sure that it is a good place, a place that you are happy going to every day. And it's really, really hard to figure that out until after you've started the job. And that leads to a lot of unhappiness, right? You start a job, you go through the interview process, everybody has their nice face on. You're like, sure, I, you know, this is better than the job I have. Let's take it. You got there and three to six months in, if it's not the right fit for you, you're going to be sort of miserable and looking mm. all over again. Right. So the Muse is a way, those company profiles on the Muse are a way for people to figure all of that out before they go into the interview process. So it helps you find a job that you like. It helps you get those jobs in the first place because you have an idea of, you know, what a day in the life looks like, what that company actually does, you know, who are the kinds of people who succeed there, things like that. Yeah. It's it's not like you have uh, like one or five or ten of these profiles. Though. You have like ten pages. I mean, how many do you have? You have an incredible amount. We have 250 and we are growing very, very quickly. So, and really it's everything from, you know, small tech startups like you're applying to, to, you know, the big guys. We have, you know, Facebook, we have the NFL, we have, um, we're shooting Gap today. We have really big name companies on there. So that's really, really exciting. No matter what kind of size company or culture company or what field you're in, you're going to find something, something for you. That's amazing. One of the ones that caught my eye was uh, the Nerdery, which actually is yeah. a, it's a web development place. And they have like this thing where you can you can go and they have like a two or three hour sort of like day in the life tour of the company. So when I was actually a student, I went and did it, and it was really really cool company. And so I'm looking at the page here, and you get to see like a lot of the photos of the places I saw on the tour and meet some of the people. I think I actually recognize some faces here. 
So this is just really cool to me. And I think that anybody, like especially students who are looking for jobs, should see if a company is on your guys' site because it would be a great way to just kind of get to know everything and do some research before doing an interview. Definitely. It's also a good way, especially for students and recent grads, to kind of see what types of things are out there. Mm. You know, a lot of companies have, you, you know, you know, you always hear startups have, they have ping pong tables, they have dogs, they have beer Fridays, but there's so much that you don't even know. Like one company has a wheelbarrow that they wheel around um, and hand out beers to on every, <laughs> you know, every afternoon. Um, one company has team retreats in Puerto Rico. One company has, you know, a conference room of beanbag chairs and hammocks. You, you just really don't even know um, some of the cool stuff that companies are doing these days. So it's a great way to explore that and figure it out. Yeah. So do you guys, like, do you personally go out to these companies or do you guys have like a team of people who are like, it's their job to just go profile companies and take the pictures and everything? Yeah, exactly. We have a team of people, okay. um, copywriters, videographers, kind of shoot producers that put those profiles together. So it's really easy for the companies. The companies are always worried that it's going to take hours and hours of their days to put these together. But really, our team comes in. They're there for a couple of hours. They you know, shoot it up, edit it, put it all together. And the companies have it and are live on the site within something like four to six weeks. So Dang. Adrian, like these companies that you're talking about that like have wheelbarrows full of beer and like beanbag chairs and pr probably massaging me while I'm like sleeping or something. I don't even yeah. know. Like sounds awesome. <laughs> Napper rooms. <laughs> Napper rooms. Oh my God. I need, I need a nap room for my apartment. Totally. <laughs> but like, I think you have one, Andrew. I, I should. I, I heard there's, there's like this metro nap station and this thing gets pulled over your head and it has like music and. I don't know. Oh yeah, I think Google They're has like those. Yeah, like twenty thousand dollars though. They're, you know, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know. AOL has them too, and you can just go in there and curl up during your workday and take a nap when you need to. It's how, amazing. How cool is that? Like you're <laughs> at work and napping. And like. napping. You're getting paid to nap. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so great. Not to digress too much, but when I had first gotten my job, I would only poop at the office because I liked the <laughs> idea of getting paid to poop. <laughs> That is actually amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> I think more than one person made that joke at my internship when I worked in an office. That's well, really funny. It's a company so in my perk. office, we only have one bathroom, so almost no one poops oh. at the office. We try to do our pooping at home before we come in. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious because you have you have all these awesome companies you profiled and they have like you know crazy perks, but like I'm just a normal dude and I might not even know like what I want to do or what I'm like the best at. Like how can I know if I would even fit into them? Like why should I even try? Because I, I obviously must not be good enough. Oh my gosh! Of course you're good enough. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I know that I'm good enough. But. <laughs> no, but seriously, like how I think it's very intimidating a lot of these things because they're. I mean, I work at a company that has great perks, so I know they're normal people. But how do you kind of get people to not just look but also apply? That's a really good question. So I think that I think that it's a combination of things. 
One, so we really try to encourage people kind of through our advice articles that everyone has a story, everyone has skills, everyone has something that you are better at than most people, and everybody has a place that you will fit. It's not going to be the same for everyone, but everyone has a really amazing skill set and really amazing things that they can bring to a company. So your job as an applicant is to figure out what those are. And then at the same time, figure out sort of the companies and the jobs that you would be really interested in and find the place where those two merge. So I like to be really, you know, really optimistic with people. Anybody can can have one of these amazing jobs at these amazing companies. It's a matter of sort of figuring out what you're good at, telling that story, and then finding ways to to get noticed by those companies. Companies want to hire great people who really fit into their culture. So you just have to show them that you are that person. So what are, what's some of your advice for actually showing that and actually like kind of bringing out your own talents and making it very clear to a recruiter that I would fit into this culture and I would be valuable? Yeah. So there's two parts to that question. I think first is, you know, figuring out what you are, what you bring to the table as an applicant, no matter where you go. So what are you really good at? What do people tell you that you're really good at? You know, where have you succeeded in school? Where have you succeeded in previous jobs? You know, what do your friends tell you that you're really good at? Those are a lot of ways to sort of narrow down what you bring to the table as an applicant. And those are the things that you're going to want to highlight in your, you know, in any resume or cover letter or interview or any kind of, you know, job search stuff you send out into the world. (laughs) Um, The next part of that is doing research on a company. So figuring out, you know, the companies that you are really, really interested in and then digging deeper into those companies to figure out who are they hiring? You know, what kinds of skills and experiences really stand out to this company? What types of people are they looking for? Who do they hire? And you can do that research in a few ways. You know, there's obviously tons of tons of stuff you can find on Google. Um, you can go to Glassdoor and browse company reviews. You can follow those companies on social media. You can look at the companies on the Muse and peek into their offices. Um, you can look at their company profiles on LinkedIn. You can kind of dig a little bit deeper and see profiles of people who work at that company on LinkedIn, you know, what skills do they bring to the table? What types of experiences do they have? Are there themes kind of among the people that companies hire? So doing all of that research will sort of give you a profile of what each company wants or what the companies you're most interested in want. And then you can sort of figure out how to tailor what you bring to the table with what they're really looking for. Okay, I think cool. that one of the, you know, I think that one of the biggest mistakes that candidates make is sending out the same resume and the same cover letter mm-hmm. for every single mm-hmm. company yeah. because they focus more on the first side of that equation, right? Yes. You know, this is what I'm good at. This is what I bring to the table. This is my experience without sort of translating that into, well, what is the company really looking for or what is the specific mm-hmm. hiring manager really looking for? Yeah, and the way way I think about it, if you only focus on that thing, like you're essentially just trying to be a computer, like on the sales floor at Best Buy. Like, look at my specs, and you're not really showing like who you are. You're not really showing like why you know that you could help this specific person. You're just kind of hoping they pick you because you have good stats. Pretty much. Totally, totally. Yeah. You're yeah, that's ex- exactly right. I love that analogy. You're a computer, and you're just sharing your specs. You're not telling people <laughs> why they need a computer with your specs, or you're not focusing on what specs people actually want. Yeah. So instead of me just like 
you know, beating my chest and making it all about <laughs> me, me, me. How do I make it about them? Like, how do I know what I should put on there to tickle their fancy? Yeah. So the best piece of advice I have here is to meet people who work at the companies you want to work for mm. and ask them that very question. How do I stand out if I'm applying to a job at your company? You know, how did you get a job at this company? What's your advice for somebody who's applying to this company? Because for every company, it's different, right? What I'm looking for is different than what you guys would be looking for if you were hiring somebody. That's different than what you know the Facebooks and the Googles of the world are looking for. Um, so the best thing you can do is to sort of get in, get a foot in the door, start talking to people who work there, and start seeing what their advice is. Yeah, and this so this is something I tell students to do a lot. Just like see if you can take people out to coffee. Um, but what's what's so what's your advice on like actually reaching out to these people, finding people who may write or work at companies but not do the actual recruiting, and then actually getting them to meet with you? Yeah, so I would say start with first of all. Well, let me back up. Start with you need a LinkedIn profile. Okay. If you don't have one, get in. Get on LinkedIn. Um, and add everyone you know in a professional context. Once you've done that, it's actually a really easy way to see how your network sort of fits in with the networks of people who work for that company. So if I wanted to work for Google, the first place I would go would be my LinkedIn, and I would look at people in my network who work for Google or people who know people who work for Google. So that would be my first step. Um, I'd reach out to people, you know, anyone I knew who had worked there, who had worked there before. I would make them go to coffee with me. Um, or I would, you know, ask them if they knew anyone that I should talk to. So, hey, Andrew, I see that your brother works at Google. Um, I'm actually really interested in working in their PR department. Do you think he knows anyone in their PR department who might be willing to chat with me for a little bit? Um, the other way you can do this is by looking on your alumni directory. This is something I actually had a lot of success with when I was in my first couple of years out of college. I went to Pepperdine University in Malibu, California, the best place on earth. And <laughs> they have a really comprehensive alumni directory where anyone can go on there and sort of search people by location, field, industry, job title, company, whatever. And I would find people, companies that I was really interested in, and I would write them a really nice note. You know, hey, so-and-so found you on the Pepperdine Alumni Directory. Your background looks amazing. Compliment, compliment, compliment. I would love to hear kind of how you got your start or any advice you'd have for a, you know, newly graduated Pepperdine alumni. And nine out of 10 times, people would be super excited to help. So that's, that's awesome. another way to kind of find connections that you didn't know you had. Yeah, and one so one thing I found recently for LinkedIn as well is you can you can type in a company and then you can also search by the alma mater. So even if you don't like have access to a an alumni directory, which you probably should if you, you know, went to college, but you can also do it that way and I was able to find people who like, oh, yeah, this person works at Nintendo or this person works at Sony, but they also graduated from my school. You know, that kind of exactly. like there's a weak tie there that you can sort of uh, latch on to. Yeah, it's good to reach out. You know, it's it's good to reach out to people that you actually have a connection with rather than a completely cold email. I think people, right. most people are willing to help, but they're more likely to help you if you have some sort of connection with them. So yeah, yeah the all-in-matter thing or a friend or a connection is great. 
So, and so if you're a student, the alma mater thing is probably really important because you probably don't have a huge network yet. Exactly. So that would be the, the big thing to exploit. The big um, thing to do. So let's say you, you just don't have a connection to, like you want to work somewhere crazy like Nintendo of Japan or, or I don't know, some very small startup and you notice nobody. Um, how would you reach out to somebody who you don't really have a connection with via school or via somebody you know? Yeah, that's a great question. So your first step is still going to be doing that company research through other methods. So you're going to stalk them on, you're going to stalk Nintendo Japan on social (laughs) media. You are going to read every single entry in their company blog. You are going to find people who work for that company online and you're going to stalk them on social media and read their blogs. That is actually a way, you know, a lot of connections today are made offline. And, you know, if you start following some of these people who work there on Twitter, reading their blogs, kind of commenting on their blogs or starting a conversation on social media, that can be a way to make connections that you didn't previously have. Hmm. I think the other thing you can do is, you know, look for positions that really do fit your skill set. And then focus on really, really nailing that first introduction you have to that company, which is your resume and your cover letter. Okay. One thing, uh, maybe you get this a lot, I don't know, but um, I know a lot of people who are are very smart, very capable, and and it almost seems that, that I know more of what they're good at than they know what they're good at. And they're just very indecisive. And it's not like they don't want to work for some companies. They maybe just don't know where to start or they they kind of need like a push in a direction. Like how, what would you say to them? Like how, how can you help these people? That's such a good question. I think you're you're totally right. And a lot of people have this problem. It's a problem of I don't know what I want or it's a problem of I, I, I know what I want, but there's 25 things and I don't know which one to pursue. Mm. So – and believe me, I've, I have been here before <laughs> myself <laughs> many, many times. I've changed, I've changed jobs a lot of times. And um, a couple of things that were really helpful to me were, one, reaching out to people who are really close to you and asking them for their advice. Mm. And not just asking them for sort of broad advice, broad general life advice, because who knows what you're going to get, but asking people what are the three things that you think I'm really good at? Or what are the three things that you think that I would do really, really well in at a job or at a company? You're going to get some themes and you're going to get some surprising things that you probably hadn't thought about or hadn't realized or hadn't really focused on as a career decision or prospect. So that's a really good way. The other thing that I especially tell new grads, is to explore a lot of options. So if there's anything that you are semi-interested in, find a little tiny way to try it. So that could be, you know, blogging about it. It could be starting a podcast like you guys are doing. It could be volunteering your skills for an organization and just, you know, say you're interested in graphic design or you think you might be interested in graphic design. Try to do it for a friend or for a volunteer organization or find some little way to try out different things that you're interested in and see what you think. And if you suck at them and you hate them, fine, move on. If you find that you're really great at it and you're really enjoying spending your time on something, then that's a really interesting career direction that you could consider pursuing. Yeah, I love that tip. And it you, there, you can find a lot of ways to just kind of volunteer and kind of get your feet wet in different areas. Um, totally. For a summer, I was able to 
like edit video professionally and like shoot video professionally just because I volunteered for a department on campus and they were like, wow. yeah, we need somebody. <laughs> so That's I learned awesome. how to use like Final Cut and everything and I had no intention of ever doing video. I do it now, but it was just kind of like, oh, that might be fun. And now I have like video skills, which is cool. Yeah, that's great. So on that note, because I almost feel like, um, first of all, awesome ideas. And, and I, I think like a lot of people's minds are going to be churning on that. Like, but, but part of like, if say you go to volunteer for something, it's almost like you, you know, you want that thing. Um, I, I know a few people who are doing something now and they're getting paid and, and it's good, but they want something different. And it's they they feel like they're like pigeonholed into what they're doing, you know. Mm-hmm. And maybe the skills are so specific in what they're doing, it, they either they feel it doesn't translate elsewhere, or maybe it doesn't. How do you make like a a career transition? Because I think they say on average, like the the average American has like two point one careers or some like ridiculous, you know, with like completely different fields and stuff. Yeah, I think I would say two point one is actually pretty low. At least for our generation. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, People definitely. People careers all the time. I've changed careers like five times already. <laughs> Impossible. You're like, you're like 25. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. <laughs> no, but I actually did this. So my last career transition, I was, I was working in corporate communications for a health center. Very, very different than what I'm doing now. And I really had this feeling of like, I want to be doing something else, but I've been going down this path for a while and I have no idea how to kind of pick myself out of this job and transplant myself into where I want to be, which seems so far off. Mm. And what I started doing was doing, trying out those little tiny things and doing those little tiny things. So I took a, I took a writing class that was fully based on, you know, writing for the web for women's lifestyle publications. It was like 400 bucks. It was one night a week. It was not a big commitment, but it sort of was one step towards something that I wanted to be doing differently. I, you know, wrote a couple of articles here and there, and that was another one step towards something I wanted to be doing differently. I started talking to people who had, you know, other types of jobs that I thought sounded interesting about what they did. So that was something that, you know, it wasn't a tangible step toward getting me to that new job, but it got me thinking about other steps I could take. Mm -hmm. And frankly, that's how I met the founders of the Muse Hmm. and how I got my current job. Just like putting yourself out there. Just putting myself out there. And, you know, letting people know that I was, I was looking for something else. This is the type of work I was interested in and, and I was open to making a move. And that's, that's really how it happened. They were, they were starting a startup. They were, you know, Hey, we know this girl, Adrian, who has some of the same skills and experiences we need. She wants to make a move and this could be a really good fit. So that was how I did it. So I think the other thing that kind of wrapped in there is that I had some transferable skills, right? I was Mm. doing corporate communications and I moved into kind of writing for a consumer publication for the web. I did have those writing skills. I had those communication skills. Yeah. I think if you're making a completely different, you know, you're, you're a web developer and you want to be a graphic designer or you're a graphic designer and you want to be in sales, you're going to have to pick up some 
different skills. Mm-hmm. You can identify the skills that are transferable, and those are things that you can talk a lot about in your re- resume, your cover letter, your interviews. But you're also going to want to pick up some of those different skills. How do you so, convince them on like your your base knowledge, like or what you've learned, or that you're you know obviously everyone says they're capable of learning, but like how do you kind of convey that? You, ha- you have transferable skills, you have this base, but you should still hire me because I'm like awesome. You know, I'll yeah. grow with you. Or... <laughs> yeah, so you you have to do that. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not easy, but, um, but you do have to figure out how to tell your story about your transferable skills in a compelling way. I think a lot of that is find, you know, finding people who know you're awesome. So they're telling the story that you're awesome. It's not just you saying, hey, mm-hmm. I'm awesome. It's, you know, these three people who know someone at the company you want to work for who are telling them, hey, this person might not be as qualified as other applicants, but they're awesome. Um, and then I think the other thing is kind of taking it upon yourself to build skills that you know you need. You know, if you're in sales and you want to be a graphic designer, you should be taking, you don't have to go back to grad school, but you should be taking graphic design classes on the side. Right. You should be, you know, doing projects here and there. And that's a way to, to show, you know, hey, maybe I don't have this exact experience, this paid experience on my resume, but you can take a chance on me because here's what I've been doing to move in the right direction. Right. So have you heard of the book, So Good They Can't Ignore You at all? I have, yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I love haven't read book. it, have you? Yeah, it's very, very good. And uh, so in the book, Cal Newport talks about this, this concept called the adjacent possible, where in scientific fields, you don't just like have these great quantum leaps into new discoveries that have like nothing to do with anything else. It's very much like, here's the field that we're in, and we sort of like scrape at the edge and find something new. Uh, and it's the same for, for careers, is what he's trying to say. When you're in one career, you can take some of those skills, like you said, the transferable skills, and start doing little things and building off of that, and then you find yourself in a new area. But it's sort of adjacent to the one you were already in. And people that want to make like a huge just quantum leap you need to do a lot to build up that career capital and those skills if you want to be able to success, uh, successfully make that leap. Yeah. But you could make a lot of, you know, you can make a lot of pivots, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the thing is about making a quantum leap is you don't read, because it is so different than what you're doing, you don't know if you're actually going to enjoy it. Yeah. So it actually is important to make some little steps and some little pivots to make sure that that's actually the direction you want to go in. Um, yeah. On that thought, like uh, this whole like taking risks thing, most people are like super ultra risk adverse. And obviously you're not because you joined a startup as employee number one. I don't know if it gets riskier. Um, But like how do you kind of handle like the risks with the reward and how do you get yourself to take like reasonable risks? Yeah, that's a good question. So I would say... So far, all my questions are good questions? <laughs> good questions. <laughs> no, it's just my stalling technique. <laughs> so we talked about so, that yesterday. Yeah. We? Sorry, there was a Freakonomics episode, and it's called, like, like that's a good question. And they did a yeah. whole thing on why people say that's not. I'm just poking fun. <laughs> no, it's a stalling technique. You can actually use it in interviews when you're trying to formulate thoughts about what you want to say to a hiring manager. You can start your answers with, that's a really good question. Or, let me think before moving on to your answer. <laughs> and then, then but use thanks political for calling me out on not it. answering the question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you don't necessarily want to do that. <laughs> but um, in a job interview, anyway. 
if you are in a political situation, by right. all means. But I, um, I didn't mean to interrupt sorry. you. Sorry, now I've even forgotten. The good yeah, like so, how asked. do you get yourself to take like these risks? You know, start. Yeah. Yeah. Start small. Start with little teeny tiny risks in your day to day life, right? Mm. Do something that you wouldn't normally do in your as you're going to work, or you know, put yourself in in risky situations that really have no, that have no downside. So, you know, going to, going to a meetup where people are talking about a field you're interested in, that's a risk because, you know, it's scary to go and to put yourself out there and to meet new people and to show up to something where, you know, nobody, that's a risk, but there's no real downsides. So do little things like that. And, when you start doing those, your tolerance for risk will build up quite a bit. And you'll see, you know, this thing was not so scary. Maybe I'll try this thing. This thing was not so scary. Maybe I'll try this thing. And that can build up your tolerance a little bit. Yeah. I would so also I kinda, say, you know, oh, go sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. you go ahead. Because my taking, mind's going to be a whole other tangent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Making sure the risks you do take are educated and they're calculated, right? And you can do that by... Again, your company research, you're talking to people, you're, you know, thinking through, is this step going to be something feasibly that I will like or not? Um, doing your research to make sure that kind of every step you take is not, it's not a huge risk. It's as educated as you can possibly make it. Okay, cool. So we've kind of gotten your story where you went from your original corporate job to where you are now. Um, I kind of want to like go off this thread a little bit and ask Andrew, you, you know, you graduated college in like finance and you worked for Lehman Brothers at first. So what was like your path from getting from doing data stuff in a financial company to now your job is talking to a year old bearded guy in Iowa <laughs> and essentially being a radio host. So like that's very different stuff. So what was your sort of path and how many like little tiny adjustments got you there? You know, oh, just just for the for the record, though, I, I actually was um, I graduated with like a computer information oh, technology right. degree. I didn't graduate with a finance <laughs> degree. So, but my dad is a finance person, and he's always been telling me the stories. And he worked uh, in, in investment banks, and you know, explained the complicated products. And I asked because I was interested. And I guess my parents. When they started, they were so not that they weren't bad with money. They're actually very good with money, but they had no money to be good with. Mm -hmm. And so they would go to the supermarket and they would come with like a calculator and it would literally be like if they can get that other ramen, they'd be adding in their calculator because they had a budget and all that stuff. Wow. And they kind of transfer that to me. And I, I hit the, the job lottery in being a, a computer developer. Like, I mean, that's, I got pretty lucky, but I, I took all of the lessons they learned. I mean, they, they taught me that I learned and, uh, it turned out I'm a hell of a lot more passionate about like helping people. Like, you know, I, I really enjoyed, sorry, I'm just going to make, I'm going to turn the whole episode and make it about me. <laughs> Do uh, it. I love this stuff. <laughs> no, like I, I really, uh, got into like making money and just like, I have like all this money and these investments and I felt like so good. Like I must be so successful. And it worked for like a really long time until like there was like, it was just a number and I was adding to that number, but it didn't meaningfully change my life. And uh, so I started this blog because to, to make money because that was all I knew how to do was make money. And people started emailing me and they're like, oh my God, like you helped me so much. And they were writing me these things I couldn't believe that I was helping people. 
and uh, I've become obsessed. I, I like I, I think this, and I make so, almost nothing. Actually, I make technically less than nothing <laughs> on doing this, and this gets me out of bed far faster than my job that pays me a hundred forty whatever plus thousand. You know, so how did I do it? Like I, I just I, I think it was like. Um, you you become interested in something and people are like well like don't follow your passion because that's like so i don't I, I guess i'm a follow your passion guy and i truly believe that listen my matters will make money in you know whatever time and it will support me and i think that anyone can do things that they really know you know and, and want to do um but they just got to put the time in and it's that whole yeah. thing it's like um there you you could be a jack of all trades master of none and that that could be pretty fulfilling but um they say an expert takes 10,000 hours at a task so you put 10,000 hours in you know over the course of a few years all of a sudden you're a pro and they pay you a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> that's true wait so what's your day job so by day I work for iHeartRadio and I'm a data engineer. So okay. when you, you know, like I want to listen to Taylor Swift and you start your 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 playlist with Taylor Swift through data analysis will determine what song gets played next because how many other people liked it and thumbed it up or didn't skip it. Um, you know, and is she in a similar genre and and so all kinds of like super data things. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> I, I, I think I mean, so. I think it's great that you are doing sort of listen, money matters is your passion project and you're doing that on the side, you know, you're working your nine to five, you are doing your day job and then you're pursuing this on the side. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't consider, right? You know, they think they have to make these, you know, like we talked about these quantum leaps, but you were like, Hey, I want to do this podcast series on, you know, helping people be better at their, at their money and at their jobs. And you just did it. And you didn't have to quit your job and go try to find a job in radio. You just started doing it on the side. You know, and that's an option for anyone. The crazy thing is, is so, so people will listen to you, you know, employee number one of the muse, like this huge site or, you know, oh, well, we have List My Matters and we're, we're kind of big now. But if they saw the muse when you first started and the first things you made, they'd be like, this thing's never going to work. And if they totally. listen to the first podcast that I recorded, like, this guy is an idiot. I am not <laughs> listening to any more of this. But, like, you refine it over time. Like, and you get better, mm-hmm. you know? Totally. And you just have to be, like, almost shameless in, like, the amount of effort and tries you put in there. Totally. I love yeah. the quote that, you know, you're supposed to be embarrassed about the first prototype you put out in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, when I think about the early days of the Muse, you know, we loved it when we launched it. But when we look back at it now, at our first site prototype, at our first email templates, we want to cry. We're so embarrassed about that. <laughs> but that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Right? And it's because awesome that you can be embarrassed about it because you've grown so much. You right. can look back and be like, look at the progression that we've made. Totally. And I think that is awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, I love same that. to you. And I love that you, you have this pressure to like make things and, and ship them because – I don't know, like I don't know about you, but when I make something, I want to make it perfect. But I know that I can't, like at my current level of skill, it can't be perfect. So I just need to put it out. And ten weeks down the road, I'll have made ten things, and they'll be much better than that first thing. Yeah. Even totally. if I had tried to make it perfect, it wouldn't be nearly as good. This, this reminds what? me. I'm sorry. This this reminds yeah. me of a of like an excellent segue and a shameless plug for Thomas. 
he yes. he made this video, and I forgot the video. It might have been – I think it was the Equal Odds Rule video, which really resonated mm. with me. And I'll paraphrase really quickly. The Equal Odds Rule is that the scientists who have the greatest breakthroughs – um, versus the scientists who don't have the greatest breakthroughs, generally the ones with the most breakthroughs are the ones who's created the most papers and did the most things because only a small amount is going to be awesome, but they were just doing it so much. And it was uh, in that video, he he had this like quote from, uh, I'm space getting on his name. What's Ira Glass. It? Ira Glass from, yeah. from This American Life. And he, and he was talking about when you first start creating something. And he said, the problem is you're creating stuff well, not the problem is. The thing is, you're creating stuff because you have excellent taste. You know what's good and what should be out there. The problem is, you just started and you suck at it. So the things <laughs> you're creating disgust you and you hate them. But you need to create so many more things so you could bridge that gap between like your, your taste of what you know should be awesome and what you are actually making. And that just like super resonant because I mean I know you guys at the Muse have created like umpteen million articles mm -hmm. and things, but you know it, it took a lot to get there. Totally. I mean, even our first company profiles. I think we looked back at one one of our first ones the other day. We were like, oi. <laughs> you know, we knew what we wanted to create, but we were doing it, you know, on a on a startup budget, really really fast, just trying to get something out there and. It sort of sucked, but it's making all of those things that sort of sucked that got us to where, you know, where we are now. And we're finding that over time. And you're totally, totally right. Yeah, because you don't have any mistakes that you've learned from when you're beginning. Yeah. You know, it's like a complete blank slate. Yeah, you've got to make I, them. You're just able to kind of like, I don't know, it just like comes out once you've done it for a long time. Like, uh, you know this, Andrew. One of the guys I watch a lot is Alton Brown, like Good Eats. Oh, he's and, awesome. Uh, I watch his show and I'm just like, oh my God, he's so eloquent. Like, he's so amazingly good at just speaking and like demonstrating things at the same time. And it's just like so smooth. And I'm like, I could never do that. Uh, and, you know, now that I've made a bunch of videos, it's like, I'm starting to feel like that could be possible. I'm not, you know, I'm definitely not there in the slightest yet. But it's like, I think if I did them over and over and over again, I could potentially get to that level. And it's the same with writing, same with company profiles. You guys make amazing. Like, I just went to the newest one and it just looks super awesome. So. And I'm sure it's like it's come from a lot of work and a lot of tweaking and, and improving. Yeah, totally. And that's I mean, that's absolutely the thing to consider when you're changing careers is you have been doing the same thing for a long time. You're probably really good at it. Starting over is going to mean that you suck at a lot of things mm -hmm. and, you know, not you're not going to be at the top of your game. And that's OK. You, you know, worth it. it was worth it for me that yeah. like just the act of job hunting is like a skill in and of itself that you need mm. to practice a lot. Totally. Like, I actually encourage people to go on interviews even for jobs that they don't want. My dad oh, is yeah. the same way. He, he tells me, he's like, just go. Just go. Stay in the <laughs> game. Stay in the job hunting game. And you have to be careful about it, obviously. Mm. But, you know, I spoke to someone the other day who had the same job for 10 years and she was interviewing for the first time. And she was like, I don't know what to do. I don't have my story down. I don't know what questions people are asking these days. It's really important to sort of keep that skill up and keep yourself in the game. And um, especially if you're on a job hunt and you're really, really trying to get something, go on a few that you don't really care about um, mm. or that you wouldn't be devastated if you didn't get just to get that practice going. Or interview with a friend. 
make a friend commit to, you know, doing practice interviews with you and pay them in, in drinks and dinners so that they're really <laughs> invested and, you know, have a list of questions. We have a list on the Muse of the 31 most common interview questions, you know, have that person sit down with those questions and quiz you and come up with answers for, for all of them. So oh, we should link to that in the show notes, Andrew. Absolutely. Yeah. That would be definitely. a good resource. I, I'm remembering, and you know, maybe because you got me going, and I just been like talking. Now I'm like, yeah, this feels good. <laughs> but uh, when when I was working at Lehman Brothers, that that company that doesn't exist anymore, um, we I volunteered for this uh, this nonprofit. It's called Streetwise Mentors, and they would take people who were, you know, in not great situations, making like poverty level income, and they would come in and you'd help prep them for jobs. And the thing was, what, what I learned, um, and I mean, they learned and, and I learned is that these people were coming in and they were making like, you know, really low salaries. They actually had the skills and they were very smart and very capable. The, the main thing that they were missing was the ability to sell themselves and mm. like literally just craft a resume that didn't look like shit. And yeah. it, it wasn't like to make the most beautiful resume. It was just like, just make a non-terrible resume. Right. It's actually yeah. amazing how many terrible ones are out there. Yes. And it, it's amazing. And I think the other amazing thing is a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to make their resume not terrible and trying to make it really, really beautiful and eye-catching. Mm -hmm. And that's actually not the most important thing. The most important thing is to have a resume that does not look terrible that really tells your story in, you know, has bullet points that are crafted in a really effective way that shows the hiring manager why you're the perfect person for the position that's tailored to the job you're applying for. That's what you should be spending your time on more right. than making your resume beautiful. It should be not terrible, yes. but beyond that, you should spend your time mm. on the words. You should mm. not spend your time on the design. I love what you said about tailoring it to the job you're applying for. Uh, I actually hired somebody to edit my podcast, the other one that I do, and the girl I ended up hiring, her resume was a web page with like animated GIFs that were hilarious and like I could just tell she had been reading my site for years, she knew all the jokes and things I found funny and she found a way to like implement that in with her skills and I was like, you're instant hire, I don't even have to think about it, like you know my company basically, I'm going to bring you on. Yeah. Would she share it with us? I want to do an article on it. Oh, sure. For, for, for sure. I'll find it uh, after that. That would interview. be awesome. Yeah. I mean, exactly. <laughs> You're exactly right. That's the kind of stuff that really stands out to you, mm -hmm. but wouldn't necessarily stand out if she was applying for, to a job, say, you know, a very traditional. Right. Yeah. You know, Coca Cola. Exactly. Um, that was perfectly tailored to you, It would, and it needs to be to be effective. Yeah, you got to know, like, is this resume going to be just read by one dude on his computer or is it going to go into, like, data scanning for terms and all that kind of stuff, which I'm yeah, sure Yeah, or is it going to be passed along to the, you know, 60-year-old HR rep who won't get the yeah. jokes or think they're funny and think this person is totally unprofessional. But for yeah. you, it was the absolute perfect resume. Yep, for so sure. How do you avoid that? Like, if you're going to custom tailor, maybe you even know a little about your hiring manager, like, who you would be working for, like, and you tailor yeah. it for them. How do you make sure that they're actually going to see it and appreciate it. And it's not going to be like through a recruiter who like strips all your stuff out and sticks their header on the top or like, like how do you kind of control that? Well, you first try to send it to their email address directly. Some, you know, obviously some companies you have to apply on the website, but that doesn't mean that you can't 
do some Google searching for the hiring manager's email address and then send them a note saying, hey, I just applied for this job. I think it would be reporting to you. Let me tell you personally why you should hire me. Here's all the reasons. Hmm. Definitely. So that's Another a way you can get do, around the system. Uh, you can do that. You can also, and this is what I did, I was like sent in my regular, like pretty boring looking resume. But at the top, like my website is there. So I could do whatever I wanted on my website. And yeah. if the you know if the hiring manager ends up looking at the website, which if I have a portfolio there and they probably are going to, then I don't have to worry about all my customizations getting stripped out. Exactly. That's a great that's a great point. Having a website that you own that is yourname.com that has your resume, your work samples, your portfolio, you know, testimonials, photos, things you've done is an amazing, amazing way to stand out to people. And for hiring managers to to learn more about you beyond the you know the application that they get in from HR. Yeah, awesome. Well, you know, I could probably ask you career questions for the next sixteen hours. <laughs> I know this is like, like ridiculous. I have like yeah, a whole this list. Is awesome. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so so uh, if people want to start learning more about the Muse or researching uh, companies, like you guys have these profiles, where's the best place to start? Themuse.com. Okay. And from there, you can get to all of our advice section, our, our resources, our free classes, and then all of the 250 companies we work with and thousands and thousands of job postings. So it's all there, themuse.com. What if they're interested in, in you and what you have to say? Where can they find you? Yeah. They can find me. I'm on Twitter at Adrian Granzella. I can spell that out if necessary. Otherwise, you can just link to it. <laughs> is, is it like Godzilla, but just like Granzilla? Yeah, sort of. Zella. Really? So I mean, I, I'm not looking now, but I was joking. <laughs> but I did get called Godzilla a lot growing up, so thanks for reminding me about that. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Andrew. <laughs> we'll, we'll put it in the show notes, though. We'll put it in the show notes. Awesome. Well, hey, Perfect. thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been an awesome interview. Yeah, this has been great. Thanks so much for having me. You guys are awesome. Thank you. All right, well, and, I'm going to wrap it up uh, here then. Sounds good. Cool. All right, guys. Well, if you have any questions about money or finding a job or anything like that, you can email us over at listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. And also, if you want to get invo- involved in the show, uh, lowest level of involvement would just be simply subscribing and getting the new episodes delivered wherever you listen, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Then go over to listenmoneymatters.com slash get involved. And if you really want to help us out, you can leave a review on iTunes. I'm going to read one real quick, which I found is funny. Um, this one's from Almerick. 6723 and he says I love how these guys get straight to the point they don't go off on pointless tangents like many other podcasts <laughs> the interviews are great the advice makes so much sense and they are very easy to listen to well thank you for that review but unfortunately I have to say Andrew we go off on a lot of tangents uh, I think that, yeah I think there was like a <laughs> measure of sarcasm in the being they don't go off on tangents for more than like two thirds of the episodes I swear <laughs> as long as it's yeah. one third point we're good <laughs> hey if you so yeah if you want to leave a review that definitely helps us out and if you want to find our favorite money management resources, tools, books, apps that we like. That's over at uh, militantmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. Thanks again for hanging out with us and we look forward to the next episode. Later, Andrew. Later, Tom. Please tell your friends about this show. Thank you.